Hi, I'm Rob Simopoulos, and this is The Hilt. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Lori Sussman. Lori is an assistant professor of technology and cybersecurity at the University of Southern Maine. Previous to her work at University of Southern Maine, Lori was also a West Point grad and also a retired U.S. Army colonel. Lori also has spent a lot of time in large and small companies, including Cisco and also Hewlett Packard. And it's also important to note that Lori has a background as an entrepreneur, you know, leading her own business as well. She's doing some really amazing research in cybersecurity, and we're going to learn a lot more about that during our conversation. So let's get at it. Lori, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and and the whole story of uh, where you came from and and what you're doing today. Well, thanks, Rob. You know, I have kind of a very atypical background for an assistant professor at the University of Southern Maine or any university, really, because I started uh, my career at West Point, and back when I was at West Point, they didn't have majors. You know, everybody got an engineering degree. So I got my degree, graduated, and went into the U.S. Army Signal Corps. And so I had a high-tech background, did a lot of G6 kinds of things. Uh, G6 is the equivalent of a chief information officer, and so did that. At various levels, I was a presidential communications officer. That was very cool. I spent time during the Bush and Clinton administrations at the White House providing communications to the president as the commander in chief. Did just a a ton of stuff. Got more into cybersecurity towards the latter end of my career with organizations like the Joint IED Defeat Organization, where we worked to, to defeat a lot of the cyber and remote activities of terrorists and roadside bombers. So I did that, uh, retired, and then went into private industry for about 10 years at Cisco, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, some smaller companies, had my own company, did consulting. And right before my post 9-11 GI Bill clock was over, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd like to get that doctorate I always wanted to do. You know, having been a practitioner, I really wanted to give back. So I got my my doctorate and started at USM uh, teaching as in the technology and cybersecurity department. That is excellent. What a great background. Thank you for your service as well. Um, oh, tell thank us, you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing at USM and, and maybe a little bit about the cybersecurity program there. Yeah. Long before I got there, USM started its undergraduate cybersecurity program, and that has been growing by leaps and bounds. We have, you know, well over 120 undergraduate students, and that focus really is kind of on that entry-level work, and it's been a great program. You know, USM, I don't know if you know, has the most non-traditional students of any of the universities in the university main system. So we have more, as an example, we have more students who are veterans than any others in the main system. And so a lot of these students are trying to retool, get into a new area. And that's, I think, why technology and cybersecurity are such growing programs, because it's a great way to retool your skills, knowledge, and abilities and get into these new careers. And so cybersecurity, uh, you know, you know, 10 years ago, there were no really true cyber jobs. Now, you know, I, last time I looked at cyberseek.org, there were over a million cybersecurity workers, but still 500,000 open jobs. Mm-hmm. And even in Maine, where, you know, we don't have like a critical mass 
you know, we have a little less demand than say the Silicon Valley area is in California or Texas, but we still have over 700 open cyber jobs. Amazing. You know, so, so it's, um, it's a great time to provide that service to Maine. And we just started our master's program. So the focus of that master's program is to kind of help people who are in the field or adjacent fields get in at that CIO level, that chief information security officer, that chief information officer, build their skills so they can take on those senior positions in cybersecurity and technology. So we just started that this year. Uh, we're hoping to get you know a handful of folks, and it's a collaboration between the University of Maine, Augusta, and us. And we have well over 50 students between the two universities. So pretty exciting. And uh, I'm really delighted that the program's going so well. And the roles, they could, I know the masters, they're going to move, try to move into CISO roles and leadership roles on those fronts, CIO. What about Mm -hmm. um, the other students? What other kind of jobs would they, would they come out of the school and look for? Oh, well, they're coming out with a variety of jobs. And, and, And part of it is the great internship partnerships that we have with private industry throughout Southern Maine, but uh, they're doing internships these days, doing pen testing, auditor, social engineering. They're providing information security expertise into an IT organization. They're just doing a variety of things. Um, We even have some that are doing cybersecurity project management and those kinds of things from a tech management perspective. So yeah, as you know, cybersecurity is as wide as it is deep. And we try to make sure that the students have enough entry-level skills that they can come in with uh, enough confidence and competence to be immediate contributors and then learn that deep level that they get on the job. That's excellent. Tell me a little bit about the cybersecurity lab you folks have, because I know I know it's pretty sophisticated, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, you know, that Professor Mark Monin has done this exceptional job building these two virtual VMware clusters that we have. One is a clean cluster. One is a, we call it a dirty cluster, but it's a cluster where we can put in environments where students can work on cyber attacks and do pen testing and and those kinds of things. So, you know, at USM, students have an enormous capability of spinning up, you know, VMs and having a lot of capability in their hands through the lab, even via VPN, virtual private network. So from their home while we're in this remote situation into the lab to be able to do these kind of virtual mock-ups, prototyping special environments to do their capstone projects or the various classes that they have. We have classes, for example, in ethical hacking. Um, We have classes in uh, information security. Those classes have the ability to use these platforms for the labs. That's great. So one of the reasons why I asked you to come and have a conversation with me is I, w- I wanted to talk about your research paper because I thought it was really, really interesting to just to set the baseline and get everyone sort of acquainted. Tell us about this research paper, where it came from and, and everything behind it. Sure. Thank you. It's um, It comes from you know my passion area of cybersecurity training and awareness. And so one of the things that we're doing is establishing some programs, very technical after school for you know school enrichment programs with the uh, cyber defense team. We call them the Husky Hackers. So the Husky Hackers do a lot of uh, capture the flag and different competitions, very technical. But we also 
know from you know our national initiative for cybersecurity education through the uh, National Information Standards and Technology, NIST, that non-technical skills are really important too. And so we have a program called the Cybersecurity Ambassadors that go out into the community and do basically workshops to help with community awareness to vulnerable populations. But in that area, going back to this uh, National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, it's called NICE, they have a framework of 32 jobs that should be considered the most prevalent in the United States. And they're very focused on the technical aspect of it, but they're not very focused on the non-technical skills that these students need. And the research that I've done, I see that employers really need kind of the the technical skills are are table stakes. It's what's expected to get the interview. But it's those non-technical skills, that presentation skills, the ability to talk to people, the ability to coach a client through a difficult situation. Those skills are really the ones that really help get a prospective you know, employee over the hiring line and, and get them these cybersecurity jobs. Oh, right. And, right. But unfortunately, these were not articulated well in the current framework. And Cybersecurity Skills Journal uh, was having a special publication saying, you know, we're putting out a new framework and we'd like researchers to, to comment on the state of how well are we educating our cybersecurity professionals. So I, I focused on these non-technical skills. What are we doing? And I reached out. I'm lucky because of this weird background I have um, that I have a lot of friends. Um, so I was able to get um, 48 cybersecurity professionals. I had representatives all the way from a CISO and a Fortune 5 company participating all the way to an individual contributor in a cybersecurity organization, as well as adjacent jobs, you know, sales, uh, as well as uh, marketing, some of those areas, but all cybersecurity focused people. Mm-hmm. And we went through interviewing them on what were the key skills that they were looking for. And so my article kind of codified and reflected the, the sentiment of these hiring managers about what they're looking for from cybersecurity professionals. And it was interesting to me that they really are looking for, again, two things, depending on where they are in their professional journey, because very senior people want that presentation skills, that presence, but the more junior people are looking for those operational skills and the ability to collaborate. It's kind of interesting to see some of those trends. You, you broke that out in the article, didn't you? Like the different senior mm-hmm. and junior. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Any feelings? Did you pull anything out of there to understand why, why that might be that the case? Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in doing more research on that. Um, my hypothesis is that the, this more senior people have not been baked into cybersecurity from the beginning. Ah, that that they came from adjacent fields and came into cybersecurity because again it's an evolving and fairly new field where the the mid-level and more junior folks have really come up as cybersecurity professionals and so there were you know i think some of that is reflected in that i think the other aspect of it is that you know the the customer facing requirements where 
you know, when a senior person's involved with customer facing environments, they want someone who can talk to a client or a customer. Right. Not every cybersecurity professional should be put in front of a customer, no. uh, but you need a variety of different personalities and skills to be successful. That manager has to juggle all those different kinds of people more so than maybe that senior person. Well, what, let's talk about those skills. So, mm-hmm. um, Give us some examples of the non-technical skills that the people you were speaking with were saying were essential inside of a cybersecurity business. Yeah. So, um, yeah, number one was presentation skills. Okay. But everybody had kind of different ideas depending on where they were in their journey about what a presentation skill was. When you talk to someone who was a CIO or a CISO or, you know, a director VP, it was you know, taking PowerPoint and being able to tell a story or, or, you know, help, you know, a salesperson make a very complex information understandable. That's what they saw as presentation skills. Mm-hmm. That middle manager presentation skills was, could they present information to the team or to a client and get the mission done? It was a little nuanced, a little bit different, but for that middle manager, It didn't have to be PowerPoint and being able to stand up in front of a whole bunch of people and talk. It may be putting together a white paper. It may be being able to communicate it versus chat. Because as you know, there's a lot of introverted kinds of people in technology and cyber. So it was, there was this very strong sentiment at the mid-level of meeting people where they're at from a perspective of how they communicate and then and becoming incumbent on the leader to pull that together to make a teamwork. Right, right. So being able to train others was another thing that I'm sure came up on that presentation side. Did you hear that from folks as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, but again, you know what that meant kind of bifurcated. So you got the um, more senior people who wanted somebody to be able to deal with customer issues, diffuse customer problems, right. and work customers through solutions or mitigating problems. At the mid-level, it was maybe teaching the team as opposed to the customer uh, and being able to share their expertise because unless you're in a very large company, the the cybersecurity professional kind of has to be a Swiss army knife and have a variety of tools um, and be able to share that because they'll employ two or three Swiss army knives as opposed to a whole lot of surgical instruments that are brought to bear. Right. And I think one of the key parts with cybersecurity, especially you know, in different organizations, is trying to simplify cybersecurity for people. Mm. It's very difficult, you know, because in a lot of times it is a complex conversation. But quite often, if you're speaking to a non-IT, non-technical business leader and trying to explain maybe why they should have more cybersecurity or improvements, or perhaps you're trying to convince them to implement cybersecurity or give a budget around it, is having those skill sets, those we call them soft skills or non-technical skills to be able to do that, right? You agree? Oh, absolutely. A good example is from the Cybersecurity Ambassador Program. We had a group, um, one of the really vulnerable populations in Maine is older adults. So we had a group that represented older adults that wanted us to come in and do our workshop training. We we focus in four areas, phishing, identity preservation and safety, social media safety, and home cyber safety. And that's what the students kind of present. But the lady said to us, you know, whatever you do, please don't scare these people to death. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is a skill is conveying the urgency, the, the need to do something to, to preserve your cyber safety and your, your posture online, but not scare them so much that they, they freeze. Right. Where they're not going to use the technology because they're, they're scared about the, the impact. Why? Well, yeah, I agree. Um, oh, yeah. You mentioned in your article around the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, and I know Senator mm-hmm. Angus King, right from Maine, is a big leading part of that. Um, oh, how, does yeah. that come, how does that come into play here? Oh, well, you know, first of all, um, Senator King is just a, a huge, huge advocate for cybersecurity nationally. He's a national voice in that area. And he's been able to do Again, he's been doing bipartisan before it was cool. He's been working with Representative Gallagher, who is a a Republican in Congress. And together, they have really done enormous work providing white papers on things that are really important to do legislation. They drove recent legislation about uh, disinformation and getting that proposed and on the path towards new regulation. I teach a course in the master's program on cyber laws, policies, and ethics. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things you see is how fractured cybersecurity laws are, that they're really, there's tons and tons of things that different states are doing. There's very little federal information. And the things that are coming, the laws and statutes coming from the federal government are really hard to, for small businesses to do. And so he's got that kind of practical perspective that's put common sense into a lot of the laws that are coming out to help small businesses compete for federal contracts, as an example, and be successful and not let cyber requirements um, overwhelm them, but still improve our posture. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. The legal side is really interesting because small to mid-sized organizations especially don't realize that you know, those state laws are across the entire country and the data that they store or they're dealing with isn't necessarily about the state that they are working within at that moment. It could be impacting users and organizations in those other states. And when, you know, a cyber incident occurs, they don't realize that they they should be speaking with their data security attorney and talking about the impact and how they have to respond and, and all those important things. And I think they get caught off guard quite often. Oh, yeah. And, and the ability to do, you know, risk transfer t- for cybersecurity insurance and those kinds of things. And and how easy all of a sudden you go from, you know, domestic to international, especially when you have a customer who may have a third party vendor who's coming in from international. And all of a sudden the data is exposed internationally and they never they didn't do the audits they needed to do to, to understand that. Right. So based on the work that you did and your research and the article, do you feel that you're going to, that, you know, NIST is going to make some adjustments to the framework and and bring in those non-technical IT skill sets? They are. I'm I'm actually on the the working group for NICE um, when it comes to the framework. So we're putting that in, but it's, it's a collaboration between academia, government and industry. And so all of those, in and of themselves go slow. <laughs> so then put them all together. And uh, it takes a while to to move the needle. But I, I see it moving because the urgency is there. There's just not enough cybersecurity workers. And so, you know, one of the, the, the problems that hiring managers are having is putting the right words into the, the hiring documents so that there's good matches. I, I just 
I, I've been doing some work with students and trying to get through the SEO, the, the optimization keyword struggle to get jobs, you know, um, has been problematic for them. And so getting the right words to the framework so that hiring managers can put right words into job descriptions so the right people can get hired is the point I'm trying to make. And so it's becoming really important for all those pieces and those people to collaborate. Laura, let's talk about the shortage of cybersecurity, you know, people out there, the professionals. It is really interesting. You read a lot of articles with statistics saying that there's a massive shortage in, in workforce and there's not enough. And then every once in a while, I'll read like that might get posted, for instance, on LinkedIn. And then I'll read comments below where people are saying, I can't even get in the industry. How do I get in the industry? I'm, they're saying I don't have enough experience. What's your experience with all of that? And, and what's your thoughts on that, that issue? I think that there is a lot of bias, for example, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of bias uh, looking for uh, talent in specific universities in specific states. You know, I, I was doing a presentation at the Cybersecurity Innovators Summit, and they were like, oh, we can't find anybody. And I was like, come to Maine. Yeah. Nobody's recruiting in Maine yeah. um, because they don't think of Maine as a talent source. But we have a tremendous amount of talent. But um, the thing that I'm reading about is, again, this, I remember when I was at Cisco and, and they asked me to put together a job description that would go out, you know, so that we could do hiring of engineers. And I didn't get a huge amount of training about it. And, I, and so I, I just stole what had been used in the past, massaged it and put it out there. Well, that's not good enough when you've got this very new kind of job worker that you need and these skills that you need. And so hopefully we can provide more information and templates using these job descriptions, these KSAs that are being published by NICE and NIST and get them out to folks so that they can use these this standard language and the students and the, these cybersecurity workers can put the right buzzwords in their resumes so that as they go through the hiring systems, they can make those connections. Today, the tyranny of the hiring systems is that the the workers don't know what the right words are, the, the employers don't know what the right words are, and they're missing each other and missing talent. Oh, so maybe that's that sounds like that definitely could be a big part of this where the where these people are saying I can't get hired you know I, they're saying I don't have the skill sets maybe it all comes around back around to those um, non-technical skills and they're being interviewed and the people who are hiring are saying you know great technical aptitude can do the job perfectly but can't present can't you know interact with the customer you know from experience and training interesting that might be it so how about on the front at USM with with the mm -hmm. research that you've done do you think that there's going to be a shift or a pivot towards more um, non-technical training in the classes now to, to help these students get hired as they come out of school? Yeah, not only for our cybersecurity and technology students, but across USM, there is a, a real push to make sure that students have the writing skills and the presentation skills to be highly effective workers. Right. And that's part of a lot of the workforce uh, initiatives. But from our perspective, for example, in classes, I don't do a lot of rote tests. You know, there's not a lot of the midterm, the classic midterm and final, because that's not what we do in cybersecurity. The talent we need is the ability to do research on the fly, do something dynamically, write something or present something. So they 
do video presentations, they do presentations, they do group collaboration projects, they write papers. And that's more and more what we're doing to assess people rather than trying to, to ask them to have, you know, rote memory about certain terms, for example. Yeah, great. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, you know, for for me, one of the most important things is continuing to educate people about cybersecurity because I think we're still on an awareness curve here where people don't necessarily understand really what cybersecurity is. And, you know, there's a, there's a thought around that. So I'm going to ask you for three tips that you would give to people on cybersecurity if they want to get their cybersecurity program started. And the reason why I'm asking you is back again that people might think, that you know, just having antivirus on their computer is cybersecurity. And you and I both know that it's an important part of it, but it's definitely not the whole thing. So if someone was looking at their business and they're just sort of trying to figure it out, where are three things that you would recommend they sort of begin with to get their cybersecurity program in place? Yeah, I, I would say you know the number one thing that I would suggest people do is start off with getting an independent assessment of where they're at today, they're as is. Mm -hmm. Because having your own internal look about your own program is, uh, you know, the fox, you know, checking on the hen house. Mm -hmm. So getting a, an independent organization in and doing an assessment of where they are today, I think that a lot of times that helps them with self-awareness. So getting that as is snapshot is super, super important. Um, it could be an audit. It can be a cybersecurity assessment. There's there's a number of ways to have that done, but really, really important. The second thing I would say is know your hardware and your software. And if you're using it, keep it. If you're not using, get it off the system. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that goes back e- even to a um, a more technical audit. So one's a process audit. The other is a technical audit where you want to take a look at everything that may be in your data center. Uh, There's been a recent hack of dormant programs that were on systems that were activated by hackers and used for ransomware attacks, as an example. So get anything you're not using out. And the last thing is constantly review your processes, your procedures, and you're most vulnerable to an attack from the inside rather than the outside. You're you're more vulnerable because of what your people do or not do than really what you might be attacked from outside. So make sure you, you spend time training your people, give them that awareness, and then test it. So I guess that's, you know, it would be the, the process audit, the technical audit, and then the training of people. Those are wonderful tips. Excellent. Anything else you want to share with uh, the folks who are joining us here on on this uh, conversation? Anything else to to add here? No, I just think that you know there there's so many wonderful companies and talent in Maine. I always get distressed when I see companies, you know, when they're looking for a, a cybersecurity audit or they're looking for talent, they start going out of the state. And I would just ask folks to to look inside of Maine, you know, from you know, we've got seven universities across Maine. They're, they all have cybersecurity programs and they're producing some wonderful talent. And, um, you know, I would definitely hire first in Maine and, and hire Maine companies. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Well, well, thanks so much for joining me. I think that um, everyone who listened here is going to learn a ton from you and keep up the great work. I think you're adding tremendous value to the cybersecurity community. Thank you, Lori. 
Thank you, Rob. This has been a pleasure today.